Welcome to today's podcast, Zimbabwe Outlook, A Nation Prepares for the Post-Mugabe Era. This month marked the end of Zimbabwe President Robert Mugabe's 37-year rule over the Southern African nation. While the people of Zimbabwe rejoiced over this change, the country continues to face serious challenges to his economic future, including a cash crisis, unemployment, and economic malaise. In this podcast, Rain founder David Lawrence sits down with Steve Taylor, senior partner at Ascari Safari and director of safety and security at Bain & Company. An international safety and security expert, Steve was appointed as Harvard's first international safety and security director in 2011, bringing proactive risk management to the university and its constituents on matters of health, safety, and security. Prior to joining Harvard, Steve worked for more than a decade as a security consultant and as vice president of global security at State Street Corporation, where he was responsible for emerging market analysis, international travel security, and executive protection. Steve's deep love of Africa stems from his childhood growing up in Zimbabwe, where he worked as a game ranger, combating poaching operations for the Zimbabwean Department of National Parks and Wildlife Management. With that, I'll turn it over to David. Greg, thank you. And Steve, it truly is a special treat to be able to speak with you today. Uh, I'll embellish, uh, or at least add to, uh, your background since uh, we've known each other for now uh, a number of years. Uh, but Steve has extraordinarily deep uh, expertise um, all around the world, but especially on the continent of Africa, uh, much of which was applied while well, at Harvard and State Street and now at uh, Bain. And he also continues uh, to be involved in a wonderful family business in Zimbabwe uh, involving uh, photographic uh, safaris. He's one of the leading tour um, guides and uh, has one of the leading expeditions as well. So I have to put that plug in for you, Steve. So, uh, <laughs> well, thanks very much, David. I really appreciate that. Uh, right. And, and uh, anyone who's considering traveling to that part of the world, I, I absolutely uh, guarantee uh, you'd be well advised to connect with Steve on that as well. In any event, let's uh, jump into the purpose of the call, uh, which is to understand a little bit of uh, what has occurred over the last you know, um, 30 days, but actually which has been sort of percolating for uh, quite some time and uh, a general sense of where we are. So I would start off by using the words cautiously optimistic. I think that you know, the honeymoon's over after the post-Mugabe departure, which was, you know, erratic and uh, definitely unconventional um, in terms of you know, traditional African coup d'etats. And, you know, the, the coup that wasn't a coup is the phrase often bandied about. But, um, you know, I think that everybody was just really glad to see the behind of Robert Mugabe and, most importantly, his wife Grace, who um, was making you know, significant moves towards taking over from Mugabe, so um, I guess the the consensus from from the vast majority of my colleagues and friends back home um, has been that it's it's a positive move that Mugabe's out, but really there hasn't been a significant change, and the proof will be in the pudding, just how much um, the new president Emerson Mnangagwa will 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 be able to. Um, effect prior to the elections, which is due to be taking place next year prior to uh, September. And could you, uh, just so we can put some context um, around the development, talk about um, basically some of the precipitating causes and um, 
as you say, it was not a, a typical coup d'etat, uh, but certainly one of the most remarkable aspects of it was, at least to date, the lack of violence and uh, the lack of what I refer to uh, ensuing conflict once uh, removal had been accomplished. Absolutely. So, you know, 37 years is a long time, and I think that uh, the fact that Mugabe had never designated a successor um, had really started to uh, worry an awful lot of the populace, um, in particular the last three or four years, um, with the rise of, of Mugabe's wife, Grace, first of all as ZANU-PF Secretary of Women's Affairs, and, and then one of the, the key issues was when Mugabe sacked his longtime colleague Joyce Mujuru, who was a vice president at the time, um, and that was sort of pushing, opening the door uh, for, for Grace Mugabe. That happened three years ago now, um, but, but most recently, uh, the sacking of Emerson Nguagwa, who was really one of Mugabe's right-hand men throughout the liberation struggle during the 70s, and um, was you know, a key component in his cabinet and in his uh, hierarchy of ZANU-PF um, for the last 37 years. Uh, he, he sacked Mnangagwa after a bitter feud developed between supporters of Mnangagwa and what they termed the G40 um, coalition, which were basically Generation 40, a group of uh, younger ZANU-PF um, leaders that were coalescing around Grace Mugabe with the firing of Mnangagwa, who's always had the support of the military. Um, we, we, everybody that's, that's involved with Zimbabwe was waiting for, for some kind of reaction. The, the, the reaction by the Zimbabwean National Army, um, I guess the rumor now is that they had planned for this eventuality right after Joyce Mujuru had been fired. The fact that they'd have to forcibly remove Mugabe from office and they had rehearsed the movement, they had planned down to the last detail how they would carry this out and it was so swiftly and effectively um, work as an operation, it was, it was truly um, something to behold. Uh, they, they took over the, the key points around Harare, um, and managed to uh, basically neutralize the police and the Central Intelligence Organization who were aligning with the G40, uh, as well as some significant key players in G40. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was truly a sight to behold for, for a country that really has not showered itself in, in, in glory in managing just basic things, uh, but the military really did, did a really effective job here. Okay. Now, um, Zimbabwe has obviously a, a sort of a rich history and has been known, um, at least in the past, obviously linked to the policies of apartheid and sanctions, you know, over the years have been imposed, um, significant issues around corruption, uh, human rights, and uh, obviously runaway inflation share with us a little bit of perspective of what we should be looking for uh, with the new government starting to get into place, um, both in terms of the outward relationships uh, with Zimbabwe and also, uh, you know, for the people who are there and uh, particularly 
for those who are attempting to build businesses and maintain businesses. So we can rewind the clock to, to approximately the year 2000. Um, Mugabe faced his first real challenge in power um, in, in the late, later months of 1999-2000 um, when the, the former trade unionist Morgan Shangirai uh, started a, a political party called the Movement for Democratic Change. Um, and this was very popular amongst the well-educated Zimbabweans, in particular the urban folks, and became such a challenge to Mugabe that he started clamping down very rigorously, rigorously on, on, um, on Swangarai. The fact that Swangarai uh, forced Mugabe to back down after a referendum um, proved that, that this MDC was becoming a real power. And uh, Mugabe reacted very violently, which is his usual trait. Um, several people disappeared. There was multiple arrests. Private media were, were shut down, and and so this continuing saga of, of violence continued all the way through the early 2000s, and especially in 2008 when actually Mugabe lost the election, um, and and it was without doubt that Sangira had won a significant victory, but refused to step down. So with that taking place, the United States and the European Union put economic sanctions on them on, on specific Zimbabwean personnel or Zimbabwean entities, all linked with ZANU-PF. Um, at the moment, the U.S. has sanctions on 107 individuals and entities, and the EU on seven. So ZANU-PF has continually said that the reason why the economic meltdown of 2008 took place um, was because of U.S. and EU sanctions, and they've used that as their sort of platform for, for saying why the economy has, has crashed. But if you look at Zimbabwe's economy, it was one of the strongest economies in Africa in 1980 at independence. Uh, the Zimbabwean dollar was stronger than the US dollar. They had a very vibrant manufacturing industry. They had fantastic mineral resources, um, very, very good agriculture, and they were often considered the breadbasket of Southern Africa. And, and of course, um, all of that has rapidly whittled down. First of all, um, with with uh, Mugabe taking over a lot of the commercial farmlands, um, and basically this was a punitive measure against the farmers because they were supporting the the opposition, and um, and then latterly uh, having really pushed this populist agenda of indigenisation, essentially forcing any company that that uh, um, makes over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, uh, they have to have. 51% ownership by a black Zimbabwean. So uh, obviously, um, obviously, any kind of financial investment in the country dried up. Uh, the IMF, uh, because Zimbabwe has defaulted before, is not coming to the table with any money. Uh, World Bank's not prepared to help, and so the 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 manufacturing industries have died down. Um, agriculture is, is, has significantly reduced, and so we have an economy that's continually spiraling downwards. Most recently, um, Zimbabwe in, in 2008, when they had to share power, uh, ZANU-PF had to share power with the MDC uh, through a, a uh, peace deal brokered by South Africa, um, the economy started to come back on track 
when Zimbabwe dollarized. So instead of using the Zimbabwean dollar, which, you know, due to hyperinflation and just uh, profligate printing of the Zimbabwean currency, um, it was absolutely worthless. So Zimbabwe dollarized, and the economy started coming right. However, at the next election, uh, Mugabe uh, basically crushed the opposition and um, and and has been remitting U.S. dollars uh, like crazy. And so we have significant cash shortages in the country. Um, your private citizen can only withdraw $20 at a time. So people are having to, to basically work through electronic uh, financial services. And so the, the, the economics outlook up until about a month ago was looking increasingly bleak. And how much of that was a factor, by the way, in terms of uh, precipitating the coup? So I think it was a huge factor. Um, there's no doubt that, that, you know, in Zimbabwe, the military always gets paid first, followed by the police, followed by other civil servants. And, and the military had started to, to not get paid on time. So there was a huge incentive for the military. Seeing these massive lines outside of banks um, and seeing the, the fact that we have an election coming up definitely um, would, have, would have been a huge motivating factor. But the number one motivating factor is basically the godfather of the military, Emerson Mnangagwa, had been kicked out of government by Mugabe and, and, and made virtually persona non grata. As we look forward because of... Uh our listeners, um, Zimbabwe has, as you said, a, a very, very rich history um, with its people, um, the economy, farming, manufacturing, natural resources, and uh, the educational base. And so as you think about uh, moving forward, uh, what efforts um, are being made and how should uh, we be looking at the potential for lifting sanctions against Zimbabwe? So it was interesting that just yesterday, um, a, a delegation from the Zimbabwean opposition sat down with, uh, with the subcommittee on Africa in Washington, D.C., and one of the prime motives of this was to, to try and educate from an opposition perspective just what had transpired in Zimbabwe and, and the way forward. There's been a huge call by by a lot of Zimbabweans who embraced this military takeover and now the subsequent elevation of Emerson Mnangagwa to president to lift the U.S. sanctions and, um, and, and European Union sanctions. The opposition were quite aligned in the fact that they thought that, that they needed to see more tangible evidence that Mnangagwa truly was a reformist and so they were pushing for the sanctions to remain until the, the elections, which hopefully would, for the first time in a long time, include international observers and, um, and would be vetted appropriately. So I think that the key issue is um, we don't believe the sanctions will be lifted in the immediate future. But I think we've got to look at two really key situations that have transpired since Manangagwa took over. Firstly, he... Uh, He's appointed a new cabinet, which, is, which was, quite frankly, really disappointing when I first saw it. But then I've talked to a couple of experts uh, in Zimbabwe, and, um, and so there's, this, again, sort of more of a less uh, 
less pessimism than than when it first came out. The cabinet is effectively a, a bunch of retreaded ZANU-PF old guards and, and uh, a mix of some some new technocrats. And um, and I think that some some you know a couple of military personnel joined in to the mix. All of that, uh, you know, a lot of the people were like, especially people like Obert and Pofu, who 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 is now the the new minister of home affairs. Obert and Pofu is possibly one of the most corrupt people in Zimbabwe, and the fact that Mnangagwa has, has brought him back on um, has disappointed a lot of people. The fact that he's brought in David Parianyatwa back as uh, health and child care minister is another issue. I mean, the, the health services in Zimbabwe used to probably be the second best in Africa. It's now way down the bottom of, of that. I mean, the health services in Zimbabwe is essentially government health services has imploded and, and, and uh, is really poor now. Um, the fact that, you know, just yesterday, Robert Mugabe flew out of the country with his wife, Grace, to attend the birth of their uh, daughter, Bona Mugabe, uh, child in Singapore. So the Mugabe's go out of the country to get their medical aid. They never, ever stay in Zimbabwe. But... Um, so the cabinet was, was an interesting development. I also think the fact that the, the police have uh, definitely withdrawn into their shells. Um, over the past four or five years, Zimbabwe was plagued by uh, police corruption, uh, police roadblocks on the streets, literally every five kilometers on every sort of road outside of Harare through, through the through the, the country, there'd be a police roadblock and a shakedown, and that's essentially how the police were funding themselves. Um, and uh, and so the police have disappeared off the streets, which is a really good populist move. I also think the new budget that um, Patrick Chinamasa, who's the new head of the finance and economic planning, has uh, issued a new budget. The budget uh, was pleasantly surprising to some business analysts. I think that the fact that they have done away with much of the indigenization laws, um, and specifically it's only the diamond and the platinum industries are still subjected to the 51% black Zimbabwean ownership clause. Um, the rest of, uh, of the indigenization law has, has fallen away. Um, is a very good indicator that, that Emerson is serious about trying to be uh, setting Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe open for business. Um, he's saying all the right things to, to people. There was a huge concern because he does have a very strong tie to China and definitely his, uh, his senior general, uh, General Konstantin Chiwenga, um, has uh, a, a significant history with China. The, f the thought was that there were going to be you know, an awful lot more um, openings for Chinese businesses in Zimbabwe, but it was an interesting development to hear that uh, uh, Menangagwa actually had his first meeting with a foreign dignitary um, with the UK. Um, so I think that he's, he's going to make, uh, make a case to, to try and have some kind of investment through either the UK or through the Commonwealth, maybe perhaps getting Zimbabwe to join the Commonwealth again, but certainly trying to op you know, show a more business-friendly environment. But at the end of the day, it is still, you know, ZANU-PF that's in power, and uh, a lot of other people are sitting there watching this saying, let's see how they approach the elections. Let's see if there is free and fair elections. Let's see if there is, um, you know, no interference. Uh, they, they have 
also pushed a very populist measure where they're giving anybody in the former administration that has taken funds, externalized funds out of the country, three months to bring those funds back. Um, about a year ago, there was an audit done by the Zimbabweans themselves um, that over $15 billion worth of diamonds could not be accounted for. And this is a push to get some of that money back. It would be obviously a huge cash injection into the economy if we could get at least some of that money back. But they're also sort of holding the noose over some of these G40 uh, former ministers and certainly G40 leaders that they are, have frozen some of the bank accounts and are forcing them to, to bring back the money, otherwise there will be consequences. So some positive developments, but um, always muted by the fact that this is still ZANU PF and PAR. So in terms of um, how people should be watching the developments, it seems as though three fronts. One, obviously, watch the elections, uh, the ability to conduct elections that pass international standards for fairness, openness, etc. Two, um, some of the appointments that have been made are troublesome, but, but to see some of the positive developments, hopefully in terms of key government positions. Uh, three, notwithstanding sanctions, which uh, in large part were imposed uh, because of human rights and, as you said, unfair election issue, that notwithstanding uh, corruption issues uh, still permeate and um, any companies who are seeking to do business uh, in the near term or long term have to be very, very mindful of those risks. Is that a fair summary? 100%. I think that um, that the next year is going to be very, very important for Zimbabwe. I do know in the diaspora, um, you know, Zimbabwe has a population of approximately 14 million people, um, but they're saying over 4 million Zimbabweans, and the vast majority of those uh, are the better educated Zimbabweans, are really pushing hard for the first time ever to be allowed to vote from outside of Zimbabwe. And if they are allowed to vote, uh, a significant proportion of those people, not all, but a significant proportion of those people will back the movement for democratic change. Um, if that's the case, there's a very strong likelihood that ZANU-PF will go. Whether ZANU-PF will change, and, and actually it's enshrined in the constitution, which came into effect about three years ago, that the diaspora are supposed to be allowed to vote. Um, if, that, if that is allowed, um, that'll be a huge step forward, and and I wouldn't be surprised then um, to see that that, uh, that that the conditions for investment in Zimbabwe improve significantly. And indeed, uh, at least some of the speeches that I uh, watched uh, post the coup uh, on all sides, uh, both in terms of the new governmental leadership, but also uh, people who had been on the outside. Uh, seem to be trending in that direction and certainly cognizant that uh, there was repair work that had to be done uh, to bring people back, uh, bring investment back, and to restore uh, the order of law, or the rule of law. Obviously, the proof is in the pudding, but uh, at least from a uh, communication standpoint, those seem to be some of the overarching messages. For sure, and I think that you know I've already I've already heard from several people that they are um, considering uh, going back to Zimbabwe full time. Um, I think that you know 
It will be very interesting. I do know that that Mnangagwa was quick to announce that they had signed a two, uh, I believe it was $200 million deal uh, to revamp infrastructure pro projects. Um, unfortunately, all of those projects were, I think, window dressing, you know, refurbishing Harare International Airport. Um, from my perspective, is not a priority. Uh, Re-equipping um, Harare's hospitals or, or even rural clinics is way more of a priority than that. Um, but I think that this is Monagagua, uh hopefully just posturing a little bit, saying to the West, hey, our Chinese friends are, are, are coming aboard. Um, perhaps you guys would be interested in investing too. Okay, I wanted to actually um, end with that point. Um, this is not uh, sort of a moment in history that's um, just unique to Zimbabwe, but obviously there's a, a geopolitical um, play that is going on. Um, the Chinese have expressed a great deal of interest in Africa in general, but have certainly reached out uh, in the past and continue to do so with Zimbabwe. Uh, I also noted with interest that uh, uh, representatives of the UK um, went to visit. Uh, maybe you can share with us just a little bit, um, and all of this, of course, can have a huge impact on the timing and the lifting of sanctions is sort of as another marker for people to look at how we should be looking at um, the reestablishment or the um, enlargement of relationships with other countries and, you know, who's going to be this, the so-called partner of Zimbabwe uh, going forward, whether it's for infrastructure, investment, um, generally export, import, et cetera. Great question. I think... Um I think the, the, the biggest influence in Zimbabwe is and always will be South Africa. South Africa is at the moment beset with their own internal problems, and so potentially Jacob Zuma um, has taken his eye off the ball a little bit. I think a lot of people blame Tabu Mbeki in the, in the uh, sort of 2008-2012 period for sabotaging the fact that uh, Morgan Shangarai won the election and, and uh, as a consequence Zimbabwe's economy imploded and the first corporations to move into Zimbabwe were South African corporations, uh, you know, once the Zimbabwean manufacturing industries fell to pieces and, and things like food services, uh, etc. So the South Africans are a huge player. Um, then of course, you know, the Chinese, but, but it's interesting to note that out of the four million people in the diaspora, Probably, you know, two and a half million, three million are living in South Africa, uh, and the remainder are living in Western countries such as the United Kingdom, Australia, and the United States. Very few Zimbabweans went to China. Um, so the leverage that this diaspora will hold will be um, bringing back to Zimbabwe, you know, Western-based economic ideals, and, and that's very, very positive. If the Chinese continue to do what they have always done, which is essentially offer package deals that benefit the leadership of the political party in power at the time, but really don't trickle down to the people, um, and in fact possibly do the, do, do the negative, which is flood the country with cheap Chinese products, um, I think that a lot of Zimbabweans are still very skeptical about exactly how China could be a, a, a trusted partner, but they have always looked at, at, um, at the West, uh, also with a, a little bit of skepticism, but no, not as much as, as the Chinese, purely because the West um, 
has sort of cherry picked where they get involved and in, 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 in how they get involved in the past, and they're hoping that um, that in the that in the future that the West will be a, a long-term strategic partner for Zimbabwe. So just as a, a final note, um, which I think is a reminder to everyone, not just about uh, Zimbabwe, but the coup happened with uh, a great deal of speed. Uh, it was not predicted, although everybody was watching uh, President Mugabe's health and his age and were cognizant of his uh, wife's role. Um, and the fact that it was a bloodless coup that at least outwardly um, looked like it had tremendous popular support. But it's a reminder about both the speed in which these events can occur, the unpredictable nature, certainly as to timing, and obviously more to come, Steve. And so we're very, very appreciative of uh, your insights. Uh, we're going to ping you for updates. Um, hopefully this is, you know, positive change because it is a country that has evolved over the years past apartheid and um, people who have a great deal actually to contribute not only within their country but to the broader world. So we'll stay tuned um, both in terms of um, priorities, rule of law, anti-corruption efforts, uh, the efforts to return vast amounts of fortunes which have been um, secreted you know, outside the country. And um, some of the relationships, uh, and all of which will, of course, have uh, an impact on uh, sanctions. And uh, maybe, you know, right before the elections, we'll get a little more commentary from you as well, because there is a great deal of Western interest in terms of the potential of Zimbabwe and the potential investment. So uh, thank you again for your time, uh, insights. And again, I'll, I'll close with a uh, unabashed endorsement of uh, the extraordinary game preserves in Zimbabwe and uh, your family's leadership, both in conservation and also exposing uh, the West to um, some of the most uh, beautiful wildlife and uh, beautiful regions of the world. Thanks very much, David. I appreciate the opportunity.